I know that, uh, you know, this joke, I'm going to ask the question, you're going to answer it. And uh, since we talked about Amazon and eggs, why did the chicken cross the road? Obviously, to get better 5G coverage. Hello, listeners. I'm your host, Diad Matar, and I'd like to welcome you all to the Wirelessly Yours podcast, where I talk about everything tech, business, and design. On each episode, I will take you through how cutting-edge technologies, emerging business models, and the latest design trends are transforming our world and shaping the future. You will also get to hear from my guests about their opinions on global developments and the opportunities they create, as well as their impact on society. Stay tuned for more. Wirelessly yours. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in. In this episode of Wirelessly Yours, we will talk about 5G and the future of connected experiences. And I'm very excited to have with me the very knowledgeable and sometimes extremely funny Fram Akiki. He's president of June Technologies and he's joining us today from his home in San Diego, one of the most beautiful uh, cities I have ever been to and the beating heart of the wireless world. Fram uh, is president of June Technologies. He's a veteran of the semiconductor industry and has been immersed in the mobile broadband space for more than a few decades. Welcome, Fram. Boy, uh, it's great to be here and uh, you make me sound both important but old. Oh, come on. Age is just a number. And uh, we, 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 I mean, there's no hiding how much experience you have. So let's talk a little bit about your, your background, uh, both your, uh, you know, uh, your uh, historical background, if I may say, and also your physical background. So tell us about what's behind you and what's around you today. Sure, sure. So uh, again, pleasure to be here uh, from San Diego. Uh, to agree with you, one of the most beautiful cities in the world and uh, love Love being and living here. Uh, what can I tell you? 35 years in uh, the electronics and semiconductor industry. I've been fortunate to work for three great companies. In fact, I have executive experiences with IBM, uh, which, by the way, kind of ties to behind my uh, uh, behind my back here on the wall. Your background, yes. Yeah, a lot of people say IBM stands for I've been moved. And uh-huh. I, I had a, a wonderful experience with IBM, uh, not only uh, in what it taught me about the industry, but also being able to travel all over the globe. Okay. I work uh, based in the northeast part of the United States, but I had an opportunity to work uh, extended periods in places like uh, England and France, uh, not too far from where you are, uh, Japan, uh, really all across the globe. So, uh, and spent 21 years at IBM. Uh, and then I joke with people, I had my uh, midlife crisis and uh, moved clear across the United States to San Diego uh, and joined right. Qualcomm. And I spent 12 years at Qualcomm uh, as an executive as well, um, primarily focused on uh, the mobile broadband space. And of course, uh, Ziad, that's where you and I had the opportunity to meet and interact quite a bit. It was a pleasure. And you were always in in San Diego, uh, based in San Diego at Qualcomm, right? Yes, I was. Although, uh, again, as as you well know, uh, with Qualcomm, you're traveling all over the world, right? True. And 
finally wrapped it up with two years at Siemens where I led their electronic and semiconductor industry group as part of their software division, which is known as Siemens Digital Industry Software. And that was a great experience because I got to shift a little bit from the hardware firmware side of the business over to the software side. And, uh, but yet still bring in my experience from IBM and Qualcomm. I got to leverage some things, learn some new things, and uh, and it's been great. And so, you know, after 35 years in the corporate environment, I decided uh, to follow in my dad's footsteps uh, to kind of make this transition to, uh, to this world of uh, having a combination of projects and flexibility. And, and so my wife and I uh, formed this uh, consulting group doing technologies. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's very interesting because uh, uh, you, you're moving in, in this direction that is continuing your, your travel on, on the map behind you. And I can see a very interesting hat on your head uh, that uh, is probably from one of those locations in the map. So maybe you want to give us a quick word about it. Sure. So uh, one of the things that uh, my wife, Janine, and I, uh, we love to do is hike. And we hike all around California. We hike all over the world. And I got this hat on a recent trip uh, back last November, pre-COVID, when you could actually travel around the world. Uh, we were celebrating our 30th wedding anniversary. And... We celebrated by hiking, as you can see on the hat, Machu Picchu in Peru. So it was uh, a tremendous experience. And uh, we, like probably a lot of people, are looking forward to the time when we can get back out there and uh, and do some Absolutely. more and, and crossing path again. And see, I didn't have to you know, say much before you reveal your uh, your age. Uh, and, and how far it goes but uh, thanks again for for joining us and i want you know like we uh, when we were at qualcomm we were very uh, uh, very much happy of saying sometimes that we when somebody says what does qualcomm do and we used to say we're the biggest company you never heard of i'm actually quite uh, intrigued because i never knew that siemens was doing th so much work in semiconductor so maybe uh, just a quick word to relate us like what kind of uh, uh, products uh, or services that we touch in our day-to-day uh, -day life are, you know, have Siemens semiconductors behind them. Sure. So uh, Siemens is really on the software side. Uh, you know, they're enabling and working with a lot of semiconductor companies. So the semiconductors aren't coming directly out of Siemens, but what they're doing is they're working with some of the, the leading semiconductor companies. Okay. You're right to help them design products. And, you know, they did a recent acquisition. Uh, it was close to a $5 billion acquisition of a company called Mentor Graphics. Mm -hmm. And for people that are in the semiconductor industry, you know, they're familiar with Mentor. Uh, they're familiar with some of Mentor's uh, big competitors like Cadence and Synopsis and uh, the whole EDA field. So that's, you know, one small piece of uh, the semiconductor. Uh, and so these are the tools that uh, that 
So those very smart engineers at Qualcomm and other firms used to design the start of state of the art chips that uh, exactly. enable the you know those those devices and so let let me jump to our next section which which I call the the elephant in the zoom and um, I mean it's a big elephant in this case but before we get to the elephant uh, you know we are in October and in a few weeks Apple releases the the iPhone and it's the first time that uh, that Apple is late on its schedule because typically it's this is a product that hits the market in September and this year we're, we're seeing like almost six weeks of delay and the elephant here I would say is you know all of this delay is practically coming from the hit on the global supply chains that was in, you know brought to us by the COVID-19 restrictions well, while you know, you would think that oh, well, this is just semiconductors and they come out from a factory. Can you tell us a little bit more about what's happening and how that impact has happened, and what also does it mean to other experiences that we are having on a day-to-day -day basis? Yeah, well, certainly, we're none of us expected this, and none of us could predict exactly what the experience was going to be like, and even even today. Right, the, the crystal balls have all been smashed as to what the future is going to be like. Um, and certainly one of the biggest initial impacts were, were the shutdowns. And if you, looked at, if you looked at the semiconductor industry though, one of the interesting thing with semiconductors was that very early on, most places, uh, viewed the semiconductor industry as being an essential industry. Yeah. So as a result of that, uh, a lot of the semiconductor production continued. And of course, the nature of design in semiconductor was such that it was already heavily global and a lot of the work could be done remote. Yeah. So, so the initial impact I would say on the semiconductor side was, was not too, too major. But then what happens is there's all the support piece that comes in. So yeah. everything from raw materials on one side to the ecosystem on the other side, which is you got to put these semiconductors into something. And that actually, the second order effect actually proved to be the Sort of the bigger impact of the semiconductor industry than on that critical path. Yeah, exactly. And so, uh, but you know, if you uh, if you look at it, right, semiconductors have um, been playing a very important role uh, in yeah. electronic systems. And. and, and and, and even within the supply chain of other devices or of other products and, and services, that's where I think we can have a completely opposite uh, perspective of this elephant, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, there I saw some uh, data. Uh, they were looking at uh, something called bomb content, right? Bill of material uh, in electronic systems. And it was showing that over time, the amount of value as measured by this bomb content delivered by semiconductors has continued to increase. Correct. And I think we're going to see uh, more and more of this 
happening, more value being delivered by semiconductors. And it, when it does, it, it puts a lot of pressure on the semiconductor. Got it. Right? Because, you know, historically they've been delivering that value through uh, technology scale and Moore's law, uh, which is becoming, you know, harder and harder. Uh, so, so what I see, particularly in this connected world, to be able to deliver value, there's a couple things. I think, first of all, in the semiconductor industry, what you're seeing is, uh, look, if you if you look at a connected system, uh, typically you have some sort of processor and memory function. And those processor and memory functions continue to drive the technology roadmap, seven nanometer and, and lower. Uh, but a lot of the other part of the connected system actually is in older technologies. Yeah. Amplifier, the RF, et cetera. And so what you see in the semiconductor industry is not only a drive towards lower and faster technology, you're also seeing a resurgence of the older technologies and older facts, 200 millimeter and, and smaller. To support uh, that uh, drive. To, to support that. And so, uh, you know, and speaking speaking of Siemens, for example, we, we saw this because some of the older fabs that we thought were going to get mothballed and go away and everyone was going to go 300 millimeter, uh, people were investing in the older fab and investing not only to expand the capacity, but they're doing things like upgrading the MES, the manufacturing execution system and the factory automation. Whenever you do that in a facility, that usually signals that that facility is going to be around for a while. So Correct. you're investing in that. And because I think also that's from one perspective, and this is what 5G brings, you, of course, you want to be faster and more powerful. But from the other perspective, you want to be cheaper and more affordable and, and long lasting. And that's where also, you know, good enough uh, works and, and, and you need these older technologies. Correct me if, if I'm wrong. In fact, I'm, you know, I'm, you know, very intrigued because recently I, I did the big uh, round of uh, clearing stuff at home and i found so many of my uh, older gadgets you know and some of them still work some of them less some of them have their story so starting a whole uh, series hopefully soon on on vintage gadgets and vintage tech and how you can uh, get them to work again but good that you talked about Moore's law and Moore's law is you know uh, named after the gordon moore who's the founder of uh, of intel and posits that you know uh, computing power doubles uh, every every year or every generation with the number of transistors that we can squeeze into one chip. And I, I heard recently, and this is another elephant in the Zoom, I think, is that uh, there's a new law, uh, it's called Huang's law, uh, named after Jensen Huang, who's the CEO and founder of NVIDIA. And uh, he's saying that it's the, I'm going to read here, the power of the chips that are used in artificial intelligence at least doubles every year. Uh, so right now it's more than just processing. We're moving into a, an age of artificial intelligence, and and that also is 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 kind of you know taking us into the future because uh, when when we were discussing before uh, you know on your journey around the world in the map behind you uh, from you you are also trying to 
you are you are encountering a lot of humans and and and, and humanity and civilization. So uh, from one side we have this whole uh, question mark and uh, fear of what is technology doing to us and you know uh, are our kids being overwhelmed by tech and uh, you know the social dilemma. This new uh, documentary on Netflix shows us how uh, you know. We are being manipulated sometimes with uh, you know technology and the power of technology. But on the other side, we know that technology brings a lot of good uh, to the world. So, what's your perspective on that? Wow! So a uh, lot to unpack there. Yeah, uh, I'll start with the with the AI and, and video comment. And by the way, I have a lot of uh, respect for Jensen. Uh, I worked with Jensen for a number of years when I was at IBM. Uh-huh. I, uh, one of my roles at IBM was the executive in charge of the relationship with uh, NVIDIA. NVIDIA, nice. And so I I had an opportunity to meet with uh, Jensen a number of times. In fact, one little story, uh, when we were early on in the relationship with NVIDIA and we were trying to keep it under wraps, uh, it was sort of a secret uh, yeah. until it got announced. Um, I was flying every Thursday from New York to San Jose to do an all-day meeting uh, on the NVIDIA campus. And they would uh-huh. even bring us in through the side door. They didn't want us going in through uh, the main lobby. Once inside, we would meet all day. And one of the uh, I would do is uh, we would always eat in the cafeteria uh-huh. in uh, NVIDIA. And so week after week, Jensen would always see me eating in the NVIDIA cafeteria. And finally, he comes up to me and he says, uh, friend, did we hire you? Because <laughs> I see you here so often. Uh, but, uh, you know, on the, on the point around AI, let me just talk about yeah. it from a technology standpoint first. You're absolutely right. You know, Moore's Law and everything that's been done on the technology side, I, I mentioned uh, processors and memory and how they continue to drive uh, the technology curve. Well, uh, I also recently saw some information that said the number one area that venture capital uh, are investing in semiconductors is in artificial intelligence. So something like $2 billion over the last 12 years. By the way, the number two area is 5G. Uh-huh. So you got AI and 5G being the top two investment areas. Uh, and you know, one of the things that's, that really fuels AI, when I look at AI, the underpinnings there are two things. The advancements that have happened in compute technology and compute capability combined with the advancements in connectivity. So if you think about today, by the way, I was just reading on a, uh, the latest supercomputer, 200 petaflops. So that's 200 times 10 to the 15 floating point operations per second. That's... And when you combine that kind of compute capability with now you know, gigabit connectivity capabilities with, with 5G, uh, what you can do from an artificial intelligence standpoint is going to be incredible. And uh, while we are on this parenthesis, yeah. so explain. Explain to me one thing. Is it, does this mean that because of, you know, having bigger and bigger bandwidth and smarter and smarter brains, we're going to connect everything 
very quickly to a big brain somewhere in the center of that web or cloud? Or does it mean that we're going to have multiple very smart brains distributed all over the edge of the network, very close to the end user, you and I and our listeners, and, and that's where most of the computing and intelligence is going to, to happen. Which one is it? Yes, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that was my answer. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, that's, it's a big discussion today, right? Over, over the years, we've had this move from uh, the big mainframe computing, right, which is really the precursor to cloud computing, uh, down to powerful personal computers and workstations, which to me was the first advent. And so now we have this discussion about edge and cloud and even fog computing, something in the middle, some sort of hybrid. And so, uh, and by the way, there's, there's a interesting potential use case that uh, I'm working with a startup company on uh, for 5G in this realm. Because one of the things that 5G brings you, right, obviously the, the very fast speeds and people talk about the connection density, but the one that I find kind of the most intriguing is the latency, yeah. the response time, right? And, you know, the spec goes down to uh, one millisecond, which you know, always see, but, you know, the, the fact is there's a very fast response time. And so if you think about that response time in the context of edge computing and cloud computing, you can now see uh, an application where, uh, a, as a user, you may not see the difference between something done at the edge and something done at the cloud because you've essentially eliminated any latency that's happening yeah. between those two. True. So, so that's, uh, I know, one area that a lot of people are looking at within the realm of 5G. Uh, I do want to get back over to the second part of your previous question, right, which was the, the social aspect of, of technology. And, and, and we'll, we'll go back to technology a little bit later, but yes, let's exactly. jump into the social exactly. aspect. I don't, I don't want to uh, think that I didn't answer or uh, we didn't talk about that other piece because you're absolutely right. It's, uh, I think all of us, particularly as we get older, you know, you, you get married, you have kids, et cetera. Um, and, uh, you know, you, you also have uh, parents, right, who, who get older. And, and so you start to um, get into this age where you do, you, you think about a lot of the uh, social aspects. And, uh, and speaking of which, Jihad, do you know what the definition of middle age is? No idea. Middle age is when both your son and your father are having more fun than you. <laughs> I'm totally there. <laughs> so, uh, but you're right. You historically, you look at technology. Right? One of the big benefits of technology is how it has helped to improve the human condition. Right? Going all the way back through to the wheel, the industrial revolution personal computers, 
um, you know, the internet, electricity, all these, all these technology inventions uh, really help to improve society. But, you know, now we're getting to a point where the technology really is getting so powerful that the technology is not talked about just as a way to help humans, but it is talked about a way to potentially replace humans or, yeah. or go into a realm of the human experience where, uh, quite frankly, it becomes uh, a bit concerning, right, around security and privacy concerns. Uh, and so one of the challenges that we're going to have moving forward, right, is how do we, how do we deal with this and how do we balance the ability of technology to make society a better place with some of the uh, more nefarious uses uh, potentially of and and that's that's interesting because we, we go into the next uh, you know like uh, uh, and maybe uh, you know final topic of our discussion and what you said is like going forward and there's a lot of talk nowadays uh, you know haven't been uh, you know everything has been pushed you know forward into this digital transformation mode by by the impacts of covid it has been a tremendous acceleration and of course uh, we have suffered in in many ways but at the same time, you know, we, we see some uh, positive uh, impacts of this. And some of us are, you know, uh, enjoying the blessings that we can get uh, less travel, uh, you know, in, in your case and in mine is, is one aspect of that. Uh, but at the same time, we, we, we're coming back, uh, you know, hopefully soon things are going to become more open again. And there's this whole discussion about a new normal, which I... I don't feel that we will ever be normal again. I mean, uh, we were all anyway moving towards, uh, you know, uh, very far from what is normal prior to COVID. So I like to call it the new business un unusual. And, and in that space, you know, uh, security and privacy is, is, is a big, a big issue uh, in relation to what we have been discussing. And that's why my personal preference on where the, the, that, uh, on that roadmap of technology that we discussed whether cloud or edge is for me is edge because at least a lot of that data and that privacy remains much closer to me as a user and then you know i can i feel a little bit more uh, uh having control over it when i know for instance that you know my my facial recognition is uh, data is remaining on the uh, a smartphone chip and not going to some server somewhere else etc etc so what's your view of of this business unusual uh, both in terms of the human aspect, and then later on we close maybe with the technology aspect. Disrupt. Uh, and typically with disruptions, what it does is uh, there's both opportunities and challenges. And disruptions, uh, in my mind, they tend to uh, accelerate sometimes some trends that were already happening. Um, and, of course, they can you know, shut down some things that were going to go away anyway, but they just does it in a lot faster way. Uh, you know, I think one of the, uh, you know, the Amazon story, as an example, when we all got uh, into quarantine and we're in our houses and we're not leaving, uh, what was one of the big things that happened? People started going online a lot more, and in particular, shopping. And so uh, I noticed that 
uh, as I was shopping more and more, and my whole family was shopping on Amazon, uh, the the whole experience was improving. And uh, now when I go on to Amazon, just about anything that I want to buy, uh, I have an Amazon Prime account that says, it will deliver in under two hours. Under two so hours? Got, under two hours at my door. And so I that that means the, the the product is is in the San Diego area. It's not even in in a warehouse in Seattle or whatever uh, you know in California even. It's literally in your in your town. Exactly. And so the other day, I was driving uh, on Scripps Poway Parkway. It's a it's a road not far from my house, and I noticed a huge brand new building. And on the outside, it says Amazon delivery. So clearly, there's been a warehouse established there. And they're using that as a way to uh, be able to ship product locally much and that, more quickly. I, I can just relate two points, you know, uh, from this to what we're talking. Of course, uh, first of all, there is a lot of semiconductor playing a role now in, in, in making this two-hour order possible for you. From one, uh, the practical element of, you know, understanding where the product is and getting it delivered to you requires a lot of compute power. And this is where uh, Moore's law, I think, is playing a role. But then Wang's law is playing a role because at some level, uh, I think Amazon knows that there is so much of these orders that cannot come up in this region because from is running out of eggs this weekend and we're going to make sure that we have uh you know enough eggs uh, ready for him and and uh, and that's quite interesting but the other thing that that i think pulls us into the uh the 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 human uh, element i had realized uh, already a couple of years ago that there was a strong uh, push in or, or pull uh, if you want on the demand in real estate coming from data centers and I I was already seeing that uh, some of the prime real estate around big cities in the world is is not in residential anymore is actually uh, and sometimes not even commercial is actually in in, in in data centers and having been stuck at home uh, as well for for a few a few months uh, we're all now you know whether as company uh, as companies or as employees, really contemplating whether we want to continue working exclusively from offices or exclusively from home or more so in a hybrid environment. We, we just uh, issued a report uh, a few, uh, last week uh, on that uh, in Meditari, which uh, I'll, I'll, I'll point a link to later on. So what's your view on, on, on how that is uh, going from the personal and human perspective? Yeah, you know, to, to echo uh, your your point. Uh, I have a friend of mine here in San Diego who's been involved with commercial real estate for some time. And prior to COVID, he was extremely busy trying to find office space because companies were expanding and the companies would call him up and say, I need, you know, uh, office space uh, for 500 incremental employees. Uh, this is the region. Go see what you can find for me. And I was talking with him recently and he said, it's completely shifted now from looking for office space to uh, two other things, right? Which is one, finding warehouse space, right? We just 
talked about what Amazon's doing. And then the second one, as you mentioned, is finding data center space because network traffic has changed completely. Instead of kind of being focused into the business centers, you got a lot more network traffic now going into the residential areas as people are working from home. So, uh, so the, the network providers and that whole infrastructure, right? They're trying to do like the delivery folks, which is how do I respond to this, improve the, uh, the situation with network traffic going into these residential areas. And, uh, you know, people are not expecting this to swing all the way back. Uh, a lot of people are investing saying, um, you know what, I think this whole flexible hybrid work environment uh, is, is going to be one of the things that'll be the new normal, if you will. Um, and so, uh, and that's got a lot of, a lot of ramifications, both um, good and bad. Uh, I think the good part of it is that it allows you to feel more comfortable about accessing talent wherever it may reside. I think people are going to have the systems and the pro procedures in place to say, look, I, I don't have to have something in uh, San Diego, but uh, if I can get that talent uh, wherever it might be in the world and be able to connect them in, I think that's great. Uh, there are some concerns and the concerns really come around the social aspect. You know, I, I, I have a, a son who's um, just starting out in the uh, electronic and semiconductor industry. And, you know, it's very difficult if you remember your first few years in a company, you're trying to build a network and you're trying to establish some of the, the social and informal um, connections. And of course, that becomes uh, much more difficult. So uh, you know, we'll have to we'll have to think about that uh, uh, clearly um, moving forward. But I but I do think you know this is just one example of disruption. By the way, another ex example on the disruption, and we talked earlier about digital transformation. Uh, a lot of companies are using the opportunity that. Uh, COVID has provided and the disruption to say, you know, I during normal times and normal production, I couldn't afford to the, uh, take the downtime to upgrade some of my facilities for this digital transformation. Well, now I'm going to take that and actually invest in it. So I actually see a lot of companies investing heavily, more heavily than they had planned around digital transformation right now, take advantage of the downtime um, that's going to position them um, as you know we we start as the economy starts to uh, rebound. Um, inshallah, you know, inshallah. By the way, is a word that uh, a lot of people now know based on uh, the last presidential debate. And I just want to clarify that my use of inshallah is uh, what I will call the primary use, which is we, we hope. Uh, not willing, right? That things are going to improve. Uh, as positively hoped. Positively hoped. Uh, the the more sarcastic usage of inshallah, which means it may never happen. Agreed. Agreed. We, we all do that. Um, uh, Fram, thank you very much. I think we can talk a lot more, especially on the hybrid uh, space and. 
I, I would uh, I would say that you know uh, work going hybrid and and all this uh, you know impact has on real estate. There will be even a bigger role of technology to play in as companies start uh, you know designing smarter offices where where you know the capacity and and the seating will be more adaptable to the number of people who are coming or expected to show up any particular week or or day. Uh, and and you know to close it, uh, it's never a, a Zoom call with Fram if we don't have a joke and. Uh, I know that, uh, you know, this joke, I'm going to ask the question, you're going to answer it. And uh, since we talked about Amazon and eggs, Fram, why did the chicken cross the road? Obviously, to get better 5G coverage. And here we go. (laughs) But in the future, this is going to be, you know, one of these big changes. Chickens aren't going to have to cross the road anymore because 5G is going to be everywhere. Everywhere. Distributed, ubiquitous, and everywhere. Thanks a lot, Fram. Thank you for joining us. I hope you had a great start of the day and wish you a great Sunday ahead. We will be you know, talking soon and hopefully have you on another episode of Firelessly Yours. Thank you very much. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Ziad. Thanks to our listeners. I'm Ziad Matar, Wirelessly Yours. Bye-bye.